0: A deranged media mogul is staging international incidents to pit the world's superpowers against each other. Now 007 must take on this evil mastermind in an adrenaline-charged battle to end his reign of terror and prevent global pandemonium. Making its premiere in London on the 9th of November 1997, opening in the UK on the 12th of November, and in the USA exactly one week later... Where of Never Dies is the 18th James Bond film, cost $110 million to make, and brought in $335.3 million worldwide. Starring Pierce Brosnan, directed by Roger Spottiswoode. The vital statistics are romantic interludes between two concerned adults. Three, Martinis' <laughs> one kills 25, Bond James Bond's one. Back in 1997, variety said there's plenty of bang bang, but very little kiss kiss in Tomorrow Never Dies, a solid but somewhat by the numbers entry in the James Bond cycle. An imaginatively conceived media magnate villain and an unusually attractive female partner for the hero helped distinguish this 18th installment in the 35 year old series. So, to discuss Tomorrow Never Dies, we have Phil Neville Jr., Ben Williams, and Sean Longmore. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys?
1: Hey, this is Phil Newbill, junior editor of Fangoria Magazine. I
0: consistently uh,
1: have talked shit on the brazen Era, and I uh, <laughs> <Continue> have you today. <laughs> no, I think I want to, like, you know, turn a corner and and uh, f- and find the good.
2: So uh, pray All for it. Right. Uh, hey, nice to be back again. Uh, this is Ben Williams. Uh, I write for MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. Hello, I'm Sean Longmore. I'm a graphic designer,
3: and sometimes I do Bondy stuff, um, and I, maybe I'm the antithesis of Phil today, because I love the
0: Brosnan
4: era.
0: I'm glad. Uh, we have a uh, balance on this podcast, don't we? <laughs> so, we're going to kick off with the one with... What's the motif you could hang your hand on for this film? What's the one iconic thing that you think of if you close your eyes? What's the thing you see? What's the thing you hear? How would you describe this to an alien? Tomorrow Never Dies is the one with... I'll go. It's, it's the one with Michelle Yeoh,
1: and that is uh, becoming an increasingly uh, significant mm. marker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, I think with the year that Michelle Yeoh has had, with uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, this suddenly is going to get – it's going to rise in estimation. It's going to rise in visibility. It's, uh, it's his 25th anniversary this year, I think, and it couldn't have come at a better time, the fact that, that this is uh, a film – one of the rare American films that features Michelle Yeoh's talents. It's
0: going to um, pop up in a lot of people's recommendeds.
1: Yeah. It's going to ripen it in a weird way, I think. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's only a good thing. A rising tide uh, lifts all boats and whatnot,
0: Except stealth boats.
4: <laughs> 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 Dr. Devonshire. Uh,
2: I guess okay. I, I will go. Um, obviously Phil is right um but having to choose something else i'll have to go with my backup um (laughs) which is uh the one with the action um because i think really this is the first properly action-oriented james bond film um but by which i mean i think you know all of the previous bond films have contained action and had some spectacular action pieces within them. But this feels, rather than like a, uh, like a, a spy espionage uh, Bond kind of film, it's, it, it feels much more like a generic, for want of a better term, um, action film. And the, that, I think, is placed so much front and, and, and centre uh, throughout the film I mean, obviously the action is executed as well as you'd expect it to be executed in a Bond film, which is, you know, perfectly. But there's something that makes it just seem uh, kind of more homogenous with other action films that are around. And it feels, to me, that's why it feels less of a Bond film than it does an
0: action film. That's fair. Sure.
2: Ah, oh, you guys have taken
3: both of mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, but I, I would have, I, I like, um, uh, what am I going to say? No, I will say this is the one with the scarily relevant bad guy plot. Mm. Um, which is obviously the media mogul in, cho- in charge of news and narrative, which is something that feels frighteningly, frighteningly relevant right now. So
0: yeah, I agree with that do you think sean it, it wasn't so much at the time or uh i i don't know because i was two at the time so
3: i can't really okay. say <laughs> <laughs> um but i maybe looking back at it it probably i i said well don't i i, I really don't know maybe did someone on the writing team kind of see a, the genesis of an idea here in what was yeah. going off in the real world maybe or was it already
0: happening right sure. um the thing that uh, we talked about this in the Watchalong, I think we did a couple years ago, but the thing that struck me from this film is in Goldeneye, we have a plot about the internet um, in 1995. <laughs> then we get two years later and we're talking about a media baron and he's like newspapers, magazines, yeah. old wives tales. <laughs> right. <You> know,
4: <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> don't Hunt mention the internet. Carrier pigeons.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> well, the internet was for nerds. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a viable, uh, is it, it wasn't a viable, uh, I mean, uh,
2: you say that, but like GoldenEye, it's such an intrinsic part of GoldenEye's plot. It's not like a, like a small thing that's mentioned. It's like, it's, it's a key part of how they're able to track, track down the bad guys. Yeah,
1: but I think it was, even Gold and I presented it as this sort of elite thing that this skilled computer hacker was able to use, I, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it seems so silly now to think of it as something that's just not a household thing that everyone has access to. Um, but yeah, it is It is a step backwards. It, like, the, There's just no foresight there at all it, <laughs> right. two years later that like, oh yeah, that thing that was intrinsic to this plot two years ago,
0: that, that's... Yeah. Yeah, you know, That's not going to be for the man on yeah, the street. And be like, I want BuzzFeed. I want MailOnline. I mean, that should be Pornhub. Right? Red Tooth. <laughs> I want push <point laughs> notifications. I want two factor f- authentication. <laughs> Goddamn.
2: I just think it was
0: Jonathan Price's fingers
2: on that keyboard. That has to be just one of the. It's such a hammy performance, but it's just the layer of ham. Right, Drax and the piano, or Elliot Carver's typing. Which is (laughs) which
0: is it that gets you the most?
1: There's not Um. a person on that crew who understood what computers did or how they worked. Right, (laughs) (laughs) they're all just do the computer thing, and he's like, it's it's like three clicks over from magic for them. They couldn't imagine that you know grade schoolers should be using it.
3: I I've got to say though, when he's looking at that screen, it does look like some kind of equivalent to InDesign on that screen. They've not just loaded the paper up in MS Paint. Right. so I'll give them a point for that.
0: I do love <laughs> how when he's writing his headlines, the computer knows the word he's going to type, so it knows how to center it before he's typed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, early version. Watch out for it. that next time.
3: <laughs> um, but I, I did. I guess this is you guys raise an interesting point, and it's something I should ask you as a baby um was the internet quite as live back then like no, what, was was, new, was news on the internet
0: i think yeah the bbc so, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that was the year i went to university sean and right. um we had a t1 connection between about 300 people um we were considered rich, you know, that was a great connection. Now that's like 1.5 megabits and you you just <laughs> laugh, right? Um but definitely the BBC had news outlets, um, CN did online. Um, the trailer for Tomorrow Never Dies was dropped, as they say, the kids say today, on the internet, and it uh, took an hour to download a 10 uh, meg MOV file of it. And I still <laughs> I've still got that file. Um with you know the red balls going across. Um do they um, just look
3: like squares because of all the pixels? I'll send it to you afterwards <laughs> we finish.
0: Um, but so the marketing department knew what the internet was. Paradoxically, oh, that's, a,
3: that's that's something I, I remember as a kid because I got into I got into Bond a couple of years after this, so it would have been about two thousand when I was about five, and I remember still remember all the marketing from Tomorrow Never Dies was kind of still hanging about then. Right. like the, the videos and the posters and stuff. So all the, all the trailers on the videos were the Tomorrow Never Dies with the Moby theme, and everything kind of had that logo mock-up. The World Is Not Enough was kind of too new. Um, mm. And I just remember it being everywhere, absolutely everywhere, in a way that it's not anymore, the marketing there.
0: Maybe we'll get under, underappreciated. I'll, I'll, I'll save it for that. But um, mm-hmm. okay. The one I would throw in is it's the one with Gerard Butler. It might ah. be a very small cameo in the film.
2: And uh, who else? Sorry, who else
0: is
3: in that scene? There's someone else that's really famous. Famous British actor, um, Jason Watkins.
0: Oh, is Jason there. Watkins so famous? I have no idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have got his name wrong. Hang oh, Jason. On. Let me Google this.
3: Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what will you know him as? He was it. He was. He was I the thing I think of is he uh, was in the Crown. He got, was Harold um, the,
2: Wilson, the guy that uh, Michael Byrne, yes. is in it as well. Yeah. You know, nice little bit of uh, <laughs> crossover between Star Wars in and India. Um, he pops up in lots of
3: British stuff. Sorry, not quite as famous as
0: <laughs> before. Famous, All right? Bond cocktail. Um, people say you can break the Bond movies down to formula. These are the common ingredients. Teaser titles, plot, women, villains, allies, Bond, action, locations, dialogue, and style, asterisk. Um, is there one of, are there one of these ingredients that you think is somehow unique or particular to Tomorrow No Dies and why? And it could be a positive or a negative. So who wants to throw the, the Bond cocktail ingredient in first?
2: For, for me, this ties into... To kind of my the one with uh, in that it, it's the it's the t- it's the pre-title sequence really, um, and you know it's it re- it reminds me a little bit of um, op- uh, Octopussy's pre-title sequence in the fact that it's kind of like a self-contained little mini adventure, um, but it is it's ridiculously action-packed and it you know is really just a sort of a short. Film on its own, in a sense, and promises what the rest of the film does deliver, which is an abundance of action. Um, that said, y- you know, there's no real kind of panache to it. There's no real kind of moments of. Uh,
0: uh, it's very like, true lies, isn't it?
2: Yeah, uh, it is. It's very true lies. And unfortunately, i i would say that true lies has got a better pre-title sequence um you know there's there's elements of tension within that um i'm not saying that they're i mean some of the dog bits i guess are a little bit tense but um it, it just doesn't feel anything other than really just a a short action movie almost like uh you know a, a second unit director was trying to do a right. do an awesome show reel right yeah.
0: There's no standout um, particular stunt which is the, which I think people come to expect, right? And it wasn't really there. Well, yeah. I
2: know that in the original script there was the like cl- the, the ice mm-hmm. climbing, right? So yeah. he's climbing up a you know a, a a pinnacle of ice that's a frozen waterfall, and that is supposed to just fall away beneath him, and he's holding on with one like ice hammer or whatever, and that's supposed to be your I suppose big um Your damn jump. Yeah, that's that's your damn jump of that that thing, but they cut it out, so we just we meet him straight at the top. I don't I don't even know if they even attempted to film it. So we just meet him at the, the original idea was that the you know, the arms bazaar is um at the top of a cliff but it's a waterfall and the only reason that you know, no one can get into it. The only reason he can get into it is because that they didn't put a Sensors or whatever over the over the waterfall, that makes sense. Um, which is kind of like you know a, a nice little narrative thing, but there's no, you know the, uh, overall that pre-title sequence just feels uh, just just being like bombarded with stuff, you know, and it's not you don't get really any sense of character or you know, there are no real kind of m- moments in it where at least it's something like even the pre-tart sequence of Goldfinger has like, uh, you know, elements of character coming through.
1: Yeah. There's the one fun gag where he ejects the guy into the other plane, yeah. which is a very Bond
0: moment, I think.
3: Um, there's the yeah, bit with so the uh, lighter that, as well.
0: I, <laughs> I do like the the dialogue between, you know, the MI6 people and the Ministry of Defense or whoever else is kicked around. And it's so, like, you know, like the, the gags, like where would the Admiral like his missiles deliver and stuff? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, some good yeah. stuff. And there's where like White Knight to White Rook and all that kind of good stuff. But it doesn't um, have the
2: bombs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's look, in, if you were going to make a short action movie, I don't think you could do it really better, but it doesn't. There's no human beats in it. I think and that's and the bond
0: DNA is a little bit missing.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you see, and
3: so I see. Get- so I, I, sorry. I, I be on the opposite side of this. Is that I, I love this. I, I love. I love this as an opening to the film um, because it is just so crash bang wallop. It sets you sets the scene straight away for what you're kind of going to get for the rest of the movie. Um, and, and I, maybe it's my nostalgia that plays into it here, but this was, I don't have those are the points of reference in my head because it takes a lot from Top Gun. Like you said, it takes a lot from True Lies. I, as a kid, I didn't have those before I saw this. This was the movie that came right. first. right? Yeah. Um, and this was, for me, then this is the Bond stepping into the action world. And this in a way was kind of my introduction to action movies um and so it was a great little taster of other bits and pieces and as as a four or five year old it was exciting as hell um and i i think it it sets up bond nicely as a character in that it sort of portrays him as someone who's not necessarily going to play by the rules he's not this stiff government agent that you might expect him to be he's going to sort of go off script and he it kind of then sets up nicely what you get later with michelle Yeoh, in terms of she's kind of a precision instrument and he's a blunt a blunt instrument like you get though that kind of contrast and that's kind of set up here Mm. is that bond is very much he's going to fight through with his fists and save the day like that with very little plan Mm.
0: So, point and counterpoint. Um, Sean, do you want to go in with your element? Your My
3: element, uh, I'm going to piggyback again off uh, Phil's the one with, um, and I'm going to say women, but specifically probably say woman um, with Michelle Yeoh, who I think is such an important part of this movie. And I, it, it's it seems such a cliche now to go, well, there's. Bond has a Bond woman who's the equal of him or this Bond woman isn't like any other. And I kind of feel that vibe with Michelle Yeoh. Um, And what's so wonderful is to see her doing her own stunts on screen um, Mm -hmm. and to bring that Hong Kong action element because she brought her team from Hong Kong as well to choreograph the stunts um there's a there's a wonderful interview somewhere i think it might be a more recent one with michelle yeo where she talks about how she brought her team who was also jackie chan's team from hong kong because she mm-hmm. worked very closely with jackie chan um and the sort of film crew didn't really know what to expect and the film crew were very sort of expecting them to uh, lay down and have to talk through and go through everything and then this stunt crew just went into the set and it was the bike shop set, I think, and then just immediately choreographed something out just by looking at the set in one glance and then managed to get the whole great fight sequence just instantly. Um, and I think there's, there's a great marrying up there. I'm, I'm myself right now is I'm in a period where I'm working a little bit on release of Hong Kong films. So I'm kind of stepping into that um, sort of, that that sandbox of Hong Kong Mm. movies um, and looking back at some old Michelle Yeoh stuff in particular, what she'd done before this was um, the two Supercop movies, which you can very much, when you watch those, the way they both, particularly the first one works is that it's, there's a lot of stunts that become show stopping elements. And I think Tomorrow Never Dies kind of also employs that and it's, a kind of a genesis of that in more contemporary Bond, in a way, Gold and I didn't do. In that right. you're going, you're you're having a film that's shaped around stunts. And I know there'll be a lot of people who say, "Well, a film should be based on script. A film should be based on story. A film should be based on character." But I quite like that this movie is based on action. And it's the one you can put on if you just want some minus action. And I think Michelle Yeoh brings a lot of gravitas to that and kind of takes the action up a notch. Um, I've articulated myself really badly there, but I think no, I'm dead dead. Michelle Yeoh, she's absolutely fantastic. And um, go Lisa's probably the biggest expert out of all of us um, to mm-hmm. go check out, but um, I think she's wonderful. Um, and I. It, it does. It, it, it upsets me to this day that they planned a sequel or proposed a sequel, um, f- focusing a spin off, focusing on Wei Lin and never did anything mm-hmm. with it. She never came back. Mm-hmm. And I think she's, she's one of those characters that had so much potential. So, so. Much. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Originally planned to come back for Dino the other day. Mm-hmm.
3: And that would have been great, I think.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Um, uh, you know, as as in the the Hong Kong contact, that whole setup would have been with her.
4: Uh,
0: I think it was a was there a car wash or an elevator scene? I can't remember. Um, hmm. Yeah, but that was the plan. Um, to this day, I don't know why that didn't come through. But
3: uh, I, I, um, when was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Because it could have been an availability thing.
0: Yeah, right, it's around clock, the same not. time.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's. <sighs> I, I, it's a shame in a in a sense. I'm sure Lisa is kicking herself that she wasn't able to do this particular one because um, we we all know her her passion for for Michelle Yeoh. Um, but I I think we all share that uh, here. You know, we mm. all clearly think that this is really her film, um, and. You know, in a, in a sense, it is. It's a. It's almost a whaling movie rather than a than
0: Bond movie. Yeah. Phil, what would be your ingredient?
1: The ingredient. <clears throat> I, I don't. You're. You're going to have to tell me which category of yours this falls under. Okay. But. But to me, the thing I used to hold against this movie is the thing that's sort of softening uh, me on it now is that it's it's uh, there's an exhale in this movie where he's he's got the one under his belt, you know, he's got the, the first performance done and and he kind of calms down a little bit and settles into the role. And I I think I'm starting to appreciate that a little more than I used to. Um, I used to just be dismissive about the second, third, and fourth Brosnan movies is because Brosnan himself said he, they all ran together in his mind and he felt like he didn't get a chance to have a, a great one. But I think he's enjoying himself in this one and you can see it. And that kind of, uh, that becomes a little bit infectious. So is it the bond? Is it the performance? Yeah,
4: let's
0: put him in the bond.
1: There it is. I think that, uh, and that, I'm I'm new to that opinion. I, I used to not really like because there, there was something sort of video gamey about his performance to me, where it was it was two dimensional, where it was a guy very aware that he was playing Bond. But I think that it has a it has a chill energy to it that I uh, have come around on. I'll say that. And it's it's in fits and starts because there's moments of gravitas here that he's trying to he's he you always see in in Brosnan's performances he's he's wishing he got one of the Craig ones probably right yeah yeah. wanted to he wanted to bring back some of the the weight to the character and you can see him relishing those opportunities when they're presented but I I think that (sighs) Martin Campbell aside Brosnan was failed by the directors more often than not they they weren't able to keep a tone to a film. So he's great in parts of this movie and I enjoy him in parts of this movie, but in other parts, it's just, it's just the, the friction between uh, the tones is kind of does him a disservice.
0: I'm glad you bring this up. Cause this is what I want to talk about, Phil, which was, I think Brosnan thinks he's in a different film to everybody else.
1: That's a very accurate assessment,
0: I think. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Brozens uh, think thinks he's in like, I can, like, I've got an ex girlfriend, we've got this yeah. stuff going on, we've got a married couple, the villain, you know, all this kind of stuff, like actual tension and scenes, and especially the Dr. Kaufman thing and all that stuff. Yeah. But everybody else is camp. Mm. All yeah. the other performances lean camp. And that just doesn't sit with me. Yeah, it's, it,
2: it's it's exactly I, would, um, a hundred percent agree with you, James. I think we've said this before, even like particularly the scene with uh, Doctor Kaufman, you know, uh, Vincent javelli when when he's he's really really playing it for for camp, right? But Brosnan's playing it as you would expect somebody who's just found their you know their lover dead, and. You know he's he's got some, he's really emoting. <laughs> he's got some real anger going on, but then you contrast it with about thirty seconds later, where he's right. like then jumping for joy that he's blowing up bad guys in his BMW, right? You're laughing on the back seat. It's such a weird juxtaposition of kind of tones of performance that I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, I would go as so far as to say. Even Dame Judy Dench plays M. Camp in this movie, like over the top. She Money Penny does. Wink Everybody, everybody's winking in this movie yeah. except Brosnan, I think. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's turned up to the wrong wrong movie. But what, I mean, I, I do wonder, like, how wonderful it would have been if he'd played it like he did The Matador. Oh, could have been. Where, like, he was in on the think, joke too, yeah. like Connery and Diamonds. Like, right. what would that film have been like?
2: Oh, I uh, it would have been a a little jewel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I love his performance in the Matador, and I think it's it's such um it's yeah. It, it Phil said earlier, you know, like he he's so aware that he's playing James Bond when he's playing James Bond, and I love that you know in the Matador he just seems so much freer um, at it's you know it's it's almost like a cathartic performance and i just i think that within the structure of a bond film could be really really good as long as everyone's doing the same thing right
0: yep right okay underappreciated elements um what thing big or very small would you like to bring to people's attention may i next time so what next time you watch to phil <laughs> um
1: When I wrote for Birth Movie's Death, I started a column called Say Something Nice. And it was, take a movie you don't like and find one good thing about it. And it was a a fun experiment uh, that ran for like three years. And I would outsource it to other people. And it became a really interesting way to sort of talk about uh, what we were talking about maybe before we rolled tape about how you can nominate craft that maybe is from a movie that's not great and whatnot. And, you know, it was about finding moments of excellence in uh, things that were maybe not excellent. And to me, and I know a lot of Bond fans don't agree with me. My absolute favorite part of this movie is the Dr. Kaufman scene. I right, and and it sort of goes with what you were saying earlier that he, you know, if if, if Brosnan thinks he's in a different movie from everyone else, I think Kaufman also maybe thinks he's in a different movie from everyone else. But on the other side of that spectrum,
4: <laughs> right. Um,
1: right. you you look at Dr. Kaufman and and you can see him standing right next to that wacko Spectre Adam's family from, from Russia with love, right? He could just be one of those heightened characters.
4: Right.
1: And it's, it's literally my favorite scene in the movie just because of his delivery and how f- sort of persnickety and fussy he is. Um, and again, I, I, I'm contradicting myself, but this is a movie that contradicts itself, so it's fine. Um,
0: well, it, is it he a just, professor or is he a doctor? I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> sort of a hobby. He, he, he didn't even decide that. um but he shows up out of nowhere and i just wish that this movie was two and a half hours of that whatever that energy is i it would put it in my top 10
0: like almost like better call soul where they took out this side character from a popular series and made another series like Mm. could we see the dr kaufman adventures sure
2: why not
0: (laughs) (laughs) well if disney gets it then yeah
2: <laughs> or, It'd be or pretty just, bleak, wouldn't it?
0: Celebrity overdoses and <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: um, yeah. It's just such a cartoonish moment in in a movie that uh, seems
0: to be resisting that for much of its runtime. It's it reminds me of Wiley Coyote in The Roadrunner. <laughs> like like that's, Wiley Coyote is Dr. Kaufman for me. It's like shy of having the Acme Hammer. Coming yes, out. <laughs> but it's uh, brilliant, I, and I, I love, love it too. I love it. Every I love time. it too. I think also the most quotable part of the film. Oh, absolutely, off. yes.
1: And it's weird that it's uh, the whole scene takes place over the dead body of the second leading lady, right? Um, but you know, I didn't write the movie.
0: Don't, don't yell at me. Yeah, I think that's the best acting. In the film. <laughs> 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 um. Sean, do you want
3: to throw one in? i do appreciate yes. that. Uh, appreciate it. So my, I, I, well, again, I don't have one. I have two. Um, which I shouldn't do, but a little one, which I always, I've always rambled on about in this podcast. Score, David Arnold, he's fantastic.
0: Mm. Um, there's all my answer.
3: Oh, sorry. Well, I'll let you, I'll let us come back to that. And I'll go to my second one, which on a whole, which is a very big thing, is the production of this movie. Uh, and I recommend to anyone, with an interest in Tomorrow Never Eyes, go read about the production because it is mental. They, this film was turned around in sh- such a short amount of time with so much stacked against it. And I think it helps me appreciate it more now. Um, knowing all of that context in that how on earth it turned out to be as sort of cohesive and as well done as it actually did. I think they, and correct, you'll know more about me than this, James. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they started shooting in April for Mm -hmm. a November release. Mm -hmm. And with a film as big as Bond, that is mad. That's absolutely mad. There was pre-production was post-production was so down to the wire. They started, when they started filming,
0: they'd not cast Jonathan price. If I'm right. that's right they were trying to get anthony hopkins yeah and judy dench says in a, one of her memoirs that um she to anthony hopkins about it and he was all for it and then she slipped up and said something like yeah it'll be interesting to see when they get the final script and he was like what <laughs> they don't have a script <laughs> no thanks <laughs> and bad out but, but, but that's,
2: they, that's you know, that is that's crazy
3: they didn't even have the villain by the time they started shooting Right. Um. And I just, it just really makes me appreciate the quality of what we do see. And yes, it is in a way. It's a very paint by numbers bond film. But it does that. It does paint by numbers really well, in my opinion. Um. And I. And then when it came out, it came out. It opened the same. It was it the same weekend or a weekend behind Titanic.
0: And Depending then, on which part of the world you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it, it in went the US, to- it opened to- against Titanic. No, 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 no.
3: With a, uh, with an absolute juggernaut and still only just came short of GoldenEye's numbers, which mm. I think is a success. And I know a lot of people, I think Judy Dench came out and Piers Brosnan said they didn't have a great time working on this. Same with Terry Hatcher.
4: No. But
3: I've got to give um, Spotters Weight some credit. He turned around a pretty decent film with some incredible limitations on it.
0: Yeah. With everything stacked against it, mm-hmm. pretty much.
3: And, and I really um, I, I admire that. And I admire that then sort of sense of craft. You can really get a, a vibe from this film that I don't think you get from any of the other Brosnan films. And I love them all. But yeah. you don't get the same as everyone's trying to work hard to get something done.
0: I may be wrong on this, but I also think it was the first film that was edited non linear digitally, um, mm-hmm. which helped them speed up the post production process. Mm-hmm. Um, there's,
2: there's also such a a large second unit on it that you know a fair chunk of the movie is being shot by Vic Armstrong, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but
3: then the, the, that is I love I really love that bike chase, which I think was mostly second unit, pretty much all second yeah. unit, and I I think that's absolutely sublime. I love that sequence. And it, it I mean, my,
2: you know, there's not often in a movie that you can kind of like. Get your stopwatch out and click for like second unit direction, mm-hmm. and just it it be, you know, twenty minutes plus of just pure kind <laughs> of um yeah second unit. But I mean, it I, I'm sure that's how it was able to be so kind of condensed, I guess. But um, I th- I think in terms of, in terms of the action that we do see. Um, you know, if, I, I don't want to be so critical and just say it's just an action film, because it's not, because the action that we see in it is, you know, incredible. It's first rate Um still exceeds, you know, the 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 the, the its competitors, really, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I uh, I don't know where I'm really going to go with this. <laughs> well, what's
0: your underappreciated element? Then?
2: Um, honestly, Uh, It's such a stupid thing, but um, I love the um, hotel room scene between, um, you know, uh, Pierce and, uh, sorry, Bond and Paris, right? Um, I I love that, the the bit where he's just sitting there um, and he's waiting.
4: He
2: he looks probably about as Bondian as he's ever going to look. He just looks, I think, sex in that moment you know and he's just like got his sleeves rolled up and he's just pouring himself up his vodka and you know it's it's a little bit it's it's the dialogue's a little bit cliched i guess and you know maybe maybe their maybe their chemistry isn't necessarily that sparkly but it it reminds me a lot of um the from russia with love um scene between bond and um yeah yeah i I just sort of think it's got you we don't have many of those moments in, in in bond to kind of draw from and i think you know although a lot of their past is mainly implied through dialogue which i guess is a fairly sloppy way to do things but I mean, I guess you know you can't do flashbacks, really, or whatever. I suppose, but um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like
0: Carrie Fukunaga says, hold my beer."
2: Yeah, but I just, yeah, I feel like maybe if they'd, have, maybe if instead of like having this um, huge action scene in the big, be- like pre-title sequence, we'd have had a Bond with Paris and that story yeah him sneaking out of the window and then being like right. i'll be right back and then all of that action happening right. but then fast forwarding to this that would have that would have been a real nice link through for their for their uh for their relationship and it you know i, I just feel like that it would have taken probably only like five more minutes of screen time from terry hatcher you know it's
0: roger stepping out the cabin at the start of the spy love me right isn't it? Like they're on holiday in the Pyrenees in a chalet and he goes, I'll be right back. And he gets his ice picks out, starts climbing a the waterfall. Right. Yeah. We fixed, uh, we fixed the screenplay.
2: Yeah. And but, I, think it but, would, but the- I think it would, I think it would really, really work. But, um, so, f- so for me, I, I, I just feel like the only thing that we get of their relationship is in this scene. And I like it, I like the scene because it's small and it's character driven. And
0: yeah, I, re- I remember seeing it. Oh, <laughs> Bing, bing, opening night, and um, <laughs> a bunch of people I was with weren't huge Bond fans, and none of them bought their relationship at all. Right, like they had, they did not believe that Bond and Paris would have had a relationship that was that important to him. At right. all. nobody bought it. Um, so, how much of that is clunky dialogue? How much of that is Terry Hatcher? Um, there is a universe out there where Monica Bellucci played Paris. Kind right, of, right, probably a better universe. Um, so I, 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 I think you're right. It's a great setup, but execution, maybe they, they did need to preload it with something a bit more than a couple of lines.
2: And if they, <laughs> Although, had, if they had done that, James, as well, her death would actually have had an impact for why, the audience. Why, not, because why not make you,
0: it? Why wasn't it Sylvia Trench? Um, oh, I'm remaking it. In in a name. Way. Yeah, I mean. Why not have Sylvia Trench be that I character who true. married Sylvia Carver?
2: They Why not make it avoided. Sylvia
0: Carver? Oh, he told me he loved me. That always sounds good. It all kind of fits. Yeah, right. That yeah, she like
4: settled down.
1: Triple X was supposed to be in view to a kill or something, right? Right. They just ne- they never take that leap. They always think about it right. and then they don't for some reason.
3: But but they, to count- they flinched it. Sorry, go so ahead. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, please go well, ahead. They,
1: they they flinched with uh, naming uh, Miranda Frost. um Galbraith Gal. in. Yeah. in uh, they just seem to never want to like go there.
2: Yeah. And I don't I mean I don't think it hurts because I think you know, why throw more muddle into the already convoluted timelines and histories and get fans arguing even
3: more? I'm with you guys, I think the relationship is kind of underdeveloped, but as a counter, is it kind of Could you interpret it as being deliberately underdeveloped in a way that bond I, I never got the sense that she was meant to be that important to bond anyway and that's why we don't hear about it and so she's kind of someone bond's forgotten about and then when he suddenly has mm. to go on this mission, he's like oh balls yeah that's someone i've just taken for granted and now that's that's where that emotion later mm. on comes is he is he's realizing that the treatment of how he treated her was he's kind of mourning himself as well as mourning her mm. um so would, i had never would, thought would about that it like that, sure. would that one would that scene have been as effective if we had had that setup or would it just have come across as a little bit more sort of cheesy and a bit more like oh, well, this has been a long-lost love of James Bond. Well, no, she's not. She's just a fling he had, and now he's
0: put her in danger. By she him. thought it was more than he did, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah.
3: And I think there's that that shot brought to you by Smirnoff of Pierce sat in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Getting shit-faced yeah. waiting for an assassin to turn up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, always a good it, track, is
3: But I think, I think for me that is, you can see some self-reflection there. Um and like you guys said, Brosnan is doing a completely different movie, but that's a wonderful little shot. Right. And that's a wonderful little moment where Bond's assessing his own character as well as
0: relationship with us. Yeah. Mm. Fast forward to trivia. film that Stoke Poach is same as Goldfinger. Let's mm, um, All right. Underappreciate. Oh, we did Underappreciate Elements. You, you were going to talk about score, there. James. I would to say Underappreciate Elements. I want to talk about score because David Arnold, I remember we, we interviewed him many times. And I'm going to paraphrase me because I can't remember the quote. But he basically said, "When you got the gig for Tomorrow Never Dies, you have to assume it's the only one you're ever going to do. So you mm. throw the fucking kitchen sink at it, mm. and because you you can't assume you're going to get another another shot, right? And if you look at the Tomorrow Never Dies score in that context, it's balls to the wall, and I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. And Backseat Driver, I think, is way up there one of my <laughs> favorite tracks. And we, I just wanted to pick this up because we mentioned it on the Majesty's podcast and I didn't explain it very well that there's a Majesty's calls back in Tomorrow Never Die as well. It's the Majesty's remix by Propeller Heads, which is then, which then mm-hmm. leads into Backseat Driver, especially the baseline. So it's, you know, it's two degrees of separation from mm-hmm. Majesties. Um, but the DNA is there uh, if you look hard enough. Um, but I love what Arnold brought to this. I mean, coming off Goldeneye, I mean, what a shot in the arm to have that score. Um, right.
2: Yeah, shameful orgy. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> I, I, there, there's a moment in this score, um, and it's a very tiny one, that absolutely blows me away every time, and I can listen to it over and over, and it's when Bond and Weylin are in the helicopter um, flying to Carver's building, and Arnold pulls out an... Is it an Eru? The musical instrument to play the surrender theme, and it's just a gorgeous little one minute cue. Mm. Um, that I think it really sets the location, and you get uh, suddenly you, you're getting a lot from the score, is doing the storytelling right there as well as the film itself. Yeah. Um, mm. you're right, he's, he's magnificent
1: in, th- in three films in 10 years. They have not justified replacing him,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it's a sin. Back. It is a sin that, that he hasn't done the last three
2: films. And it's, they've also never justified putting Surrender at the end Rome at the front.
0: Right. Which <laughs> I don't know if he meant to really re- reveal it or not, or it was just one of those like who cares moments on Twitter last week. I actually said, like, whilst the film was still called Tomorrow Never Dies and had uh-huh. a picture of the score of Surrender or something when he was cleaning out his studio. Huh. Um mm. But I remember seeing that first run and the end credits when it banged into Surrender felt like a punch the air moment because mm-hmm. you've been, the score has been building up to that reveal of that song, right? Which was never the intent in the beginning. Right. <laughs> but the way that song is weaved in and you, you haven't heard Surrender at this point, like, but you keep hearing bits and pieces of it. And then bang, when KD Lang comes on, it's the power of that to me, is like, it's the best end credits of a Bond movie um, for that reason. But, yeah, it's why it was flipped. Yes. We all know why it was flipped around and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I yeah. can tell you this. How many times have you heard Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow played in the radio since 1998? I can tell you zero for me personally, but <laughs> right. Surrender comes on now and again. Yeah. Did, yeah. No, no, that's no, the I, banger I, That's the banger of the era.
3: I, I always hear the Sheryl Crow song in, like, HMV, and I don't know why.
0: I don't know why they it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, of, of all the bond songs that's the one i hear in H.
0: yeah
3: uh, k- k- did did arnold have any in, um, involvement in the moby track because i also think that's something that
0: well, it- this film's got so much hanging around it right because you got the propeller heads mm-hmm. kicking around mm-hmm. at the same time and then you've got also got arnold's shaken not stirred album that came out the year before yep. there's so much mu- new music around 1997 for bond
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if if there was any kind of crossover but I think people were just there was this renewed kind of vigour for Bond wasn't there really around this time. You know, I, I think I, I've often said that, you know, GoldenEye's the the Pop Bond, but actually this this probably this probably sits kind of squarely in the um you know, and it was at its peak, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, mm. you know, that kind of like Cool Britannia era. Yeah. Um, and so I think, that you know, Bond just had a more, uh, Bond was a part of that and bringing Bond back was a part of that. And I think that that kind of did bleed into, I mean, just the fact that so many bands when, you know, put put forward a, a potential track yeah. for this. yeah. You know, pulp did. Um Yeah, was it like a big a, free-for-all?
0: There's like a dozen. Yeah.
2: Right. And then, you know, a bit varying degrees of um Ace of bass. Yeah. Some terrible <laughs> some terrible ones and some good ones. Um and I I actually quite like the Cheryl Crow song. I just don't like it as much as Surrender. Mm. And you know. And we all know we can't trust Cheryl Crow. <laughs>
3: You know. <laughs> it's interesting what you say about Bond never being like the Bond being really big at this time, because people do think of GoldenEye as the reinvention. But the amount, of, like, I think we we touched on it earlier, the amount of merch and promo this movie had, because it the same year GoldenEye came out on the sixty four, which was obviously a huge yeah. huge, huge huge thing. Uh, the yeah. same time, Tomorrow Never Dies came out on VHS,
0: they re released the whole set.
3: Uh, so, right. do you remember that set
0: where the yep, spine i remember it. it was it, i've still it. got it it's not it was <laughs> 90, it was 99 pounds
3: yeah uh, and, is, and so suddenly you've got bond is back in home video um i i the thing i remember as a kid the bit of merch that was hanging around from this film was they did an action man line of bond yeah
0: they did
3: yeah um oh yeah
0: there's the Elliot there was carver is something to yeah if you look it up it's great
3: <laughs> well they, they did a proper it was branded action man and they took james yeah. bond from several other films and tomorrow never dies was kind of the one the big one from them and there, there just seems like an energy and such a big energy that came out um, mm. that, that when i started getting into bond a few years later like i say was still hanging about um it was really sort of riding the wave and, and mm. the, I think that's great. And that's something Bond needs now, desperately.
0: Yeah. Okay. Trivia. Um, would you like to share a fact or tidbit that you find personally particularly interesting? Sure. I've got nice? one. Here it comes. All right. Is, it, um, is this true trivia, Phil?
1: This is going to real. <laughs> real tri- I'm going to take a break from my regularly scheduled <laughs> fake trivia give you some real trivia because it was interesting to me because sean was saying he was two when this came out um so if you were of a certain if you were 12 years old or if you were like in the the target you know range for for bond when this came out you might not understand why ricky jay is in this movie because you don't (laughs) don't know who ricky jay is and then it occurred to me that in 2022 as physical media goes away and no one bothers with bonus features and deleted scenes and such you you still might not not know why ricky jay is in this movie or you might also not know who ricky jay is but ricky jay was sort of a like a a magician who special he was like a street musician he's a magician's
0: magician right yes Ooh. yes
1: and he specialized in card tricks and the whole reason as i understand it that he was in this movie is because there's a moment in the film that's been cut out where he's throwing these playing cards like like uh like throwing stars martial yeah. arts throwing stars uh, and they're sticking into things and he's really doing that because he could really do that um and and it was you know he's like a human special effect in that regard and then they cut that out of a movie and so he's just a guy now
0: right he's an and it so guy
1: if you were a ricky jay fan in the 90s and there are, there were ricky jay fans and there are ricky jay fans you're wondering why the fuck is he in this movie doing nothing
0: yeah after <laughs> dialing down the noise in the techno bubble.
1: Yeah. Right, <laughs> Sean, do you, do you know who Ricky Jay is? Do you have an awareness of him?
0: No, I did, don't outside of Tomorrow Never Dies. And
3: the, I didn't know until I watched the deleted scenes on the DVD.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Penn and Teller did a really nice piece about him a few years ago and yeah. explained all this and showed you how he did it and whatnot. And yeah.
1: And he passed away uh, yeah. relatively recently. He was supposed yeah. to be in Knives Out, and then MM At Walsh played the role instead. But there's a picture of Ricky Jay in the little shack that yeah. M-M washes in in the film as a tribute to him.
2: Oh, it's nice.
1: Watch the I think i probably on YouTube because everything's on YouTube, but watch the Ricky Jay deleted scenes of this movie to see the reason they put him in here.
2: I have a not very interesting piece of trivia. Um, but I used to work at Muji in Covent Garden in London uh at, this, at the time that this was being um made. And um one day Jonathan Price came in and I spent, you know, as much time as one does with a customer. And obviously I recognized him, you know, I'd seen Brazil and everything. And I was kind of like doing the usual, oh, I love in that kind of sycophantic crap. Um, and I was like, so what are you doing at the moment? He goes, oh, I'm, just, I'm just shooting a film, I'm just shooting a film. And so I got to speak to a Bond villain before I knew that I was speaking to hmm. among them. so <laughs> a sitting Bond you, villain. Yeah, so you can imagine that I'm. I was kind of kind of annoyed when when I saw the movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what he was doing. <laughs> I could have I could have really asked him a lot
0: of questions. <laughs> but there we go. He might not have been able to tell you anything because they're writing the script the day of. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's maybe maybe he'd, not that's been,
3: maybe he'd only just been cast that morning, and then his scene was later in the evening. Yeah.
2: Um, I also uh, played skeletrix with uh, Wendy Leach, uh, who uh, did the motorcycle jump in this uh, movie doubling for Waylon, um and was sorely beaten by her. Um, <laughs> so, you, you know, that's another... I mean, I don't really have any, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. I just thought people might like to know my random... interactions
0: yeah Sean as one of your favorites you must be a fountain of trivia for this
3: fountain of trivia Uh, so I'm gonna go with my traditional for that one listener out there that also likes Doctor Who uh, Jonathan Price (laughs) is in Doctor Who Um, he plays the master in Curse of Fatal Death um, Mm -hmm. where he ends up with Dalek breast implants Go watch it. It's, it's, it's a color special. If that sounds yes. weird,
0: it was a color <laughs> special.
3: I thought you said garlic breath implants for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Dal- uh, Dalek. No, Dal- Dalek, Dalek bumps, as he calls them. <laughs>
0: um,
3: I, I have a bit of trivia that I imagine everyone probably knows. Um, in that, that I, but I find it interesting that this was the first ever film to be entirely funded by product placement. Yeah. That... that mm. I don't well, know. Why I the found.
0: production budget was offset by product,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Um, well. that's and the the products, the large company. There's like eight really big ones, and there's some you have to really go looking for. But yeah, I don't know why. I, I that interests me as a film guy. And then there's one I wanted to ask your guys, your, your opinion, on whether it's true. I'm going to make a mm. stab, and I don't know if it is. Is this the first time we see a halo jump?
2: in a movie. Mm. I think so. I, don't, I can't Rambo think of any other 1. time that it's been used. Did I, don't, um, I haven't
0: seen Rambo 3, so maybe.
3: Let me Google real quick.
0: But Somebody on IMDb probably got a list of movies with Halo jumps. Someone, um, but mm-hmm. it
3: just, it always said because everyone, there was a huge thing about crews doing the Halo jump for Mission Impossible Fallout. Right, right, right. And every all the time, I just wanted to point at Tomorrow Never Dies and be like, look,
0: yeah, but the it. difference being that Pierce Brosnan was in front of a wind machine four foot off the ground. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, someone did it.
1: Someone did yeah, that yeah. jump
0: for film, which is so incredibly not Rambo, dangerous.
1: Not Rambo 3, but Rambo First Blood Part 2, he does a halo jump.
2: And do, and, they,
3: uh, did they, do they actually do a halo jump on film? I mean, I don't know.
2: It's Come on. It's, isn't that written by James Cameron? <laughs> yes, he had a rewrite credit, I think. That's, yeah. that's accurate. Yeah, okay.
3: But I don't. You know, so, I so, mean, so I don't mean sort of like it was in the script in the story. I mean it was actually a halo jump. Oh, you mean showing physically like, showing, showing someone I doing think a full.
2: I had moment. to
1: have shown one, right? Right.
2: No, I think what happens in Rambo, two right, first blood part two is that he jumps out and he has all. He's been given all of this equipment by, um, you know, like to go in with for this special mission. But it all gets caught up in the plane in the halo jump, and he has to jettison all his toys and he just only has his like his his knife and i think that's i think that's what happens in the halo jump in that you can find out whether that's true or not by (laughs) watching the movie (laughs) movie. (laughs) but but probably james will have just edited that out but i think that's what (laughs) happens
1: but on that yeah, product placement tip, and while you're on YouTube looking for the Halo jump in Rambo First Blood Part Two, uh, you should also look for the uh, the Visa check card ad that was yes, done. Yes, where Christina Hendricks, a very very young Christina Hendricks, plays a British uh, little Bond girl in this in this ad. It's uh, hilarious yeah. and fun, and Q's in it too. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Um, I that's something I must check out.
1: I mean, if you're a Christina Hendricks fan, and who isn't? Um, yep. You know.
2: Sure,
0: check it out. Um, not. Throw... I'm watching the first Blood Part 2 clip on YouTube with the sound. <laughs> yeah, <on. laughs> yeah. so I'll throw one in, which I only learned about recently, which was a little audio nugget. Um, when We talked about the pre sequence when he rocks up at the Arms Bazaar. Mm. There's like a little horn fanfare um, when, he, when Bond appears, when he first appears. Mm. And it's a sampling of the main theme of From Russia With Love. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, I've never asked David Arnold about it, but I assume that is true. Hmm. What's the final verdict on the Halo jump? So
1: uh, he completely shits the bed. He, right. like falls, he falls out of the plane and is dangling by a strap, and some guy has to sort of cut him loose. It's a mess.
2: Okay. Hey, I told, I That's pretty good recall for a guy that hasn't seen that movie. And how? When did that come out? Maybe, I want to say eighty-five. Right. So, Not bad. Yeah. So,
3: so what we're actually saying is Rambo 2 can be added to the list of action films. Okay, dreams, never die, yeah. It's knocking off.
0: Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final verdict, guys. This is going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> there are no bad Bond films. They're just some that we like more than others. So does this rank top tier, middle tier, or bottom tier for you? Sean, you can go first and set the path.
3: I never go first. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. I'm going to get torn down. Um, <laughs> oh, this is top tier. And this is top of the, well, not the very top, but up there at top of the top tier for me. This is top five. I adore this movie. This is my favorite, Brosnan. It's short and sweet. It's great just to stick on. It's the kind, It's the film, I, I, wa- I watched it on my birthday. It's a great film just to really enjoy. I love it. I love it. It's maybe perhaps it's not the script's not the best. It's not the most in-depth Bond film. It's not the most character. Maybe it's not even the best technical Bond film, but do you know what? I bloody love it. Really enjoy it. It's great. Um, Michelle Yeoh kicks ass. So.
0: Good stuff.
2: Uh, okay, I guess I'll go. Um, it's weird because this this. it it fluctuates a lot for me. And I think, um, as a, as a Michelle Yeoh film, I really enjoy it as a bond film, less so. Um, and that, I mean, I I don't mean that like, it's a bad thing, I guess. Um, it sort of populates the lower tier somewhere, but in a fun, kind of a fluid manner. um, my, my lower tier is kind of like a, um, you know, one of those wax, uh, lava lamps just <laughs> like shifting and changing around, but it's down there somewhere. Um, it's not at the bottom, but it's around there, but there are, that doesn't mean there aren't really great things about it and moments that I really appreciate about this film. Um, to echo the sentiments of my, my fellow panelists, um, there are just other bond films that I enjoy more than this um I think it's just too much of a i think it's t- it's stepping its toe too much into the, kind of the pure action genre um whereas I feel like it it's it would be better to just be more of a I mean, be more of a bond film than a than an action film mm. that's just my takeaway from it um having said that it is a great um, what would be a rainy day film um, we don't have rainy days in California so <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> like a nice sort, of, nice sort of Sunday afternoon movie I guess I just had to throw that in there to be spiteful of Yep. <laughs> noted um, I like it better than
1: The World Is Not Enough mm. I could say that it's my third favourite English language Michelle Yeoh movie
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, it's it's still hovering around the bottom tier, but it, it's it's not, you know, it's not a chore. It's not an endurance test, it's just not my speed.
0: Right. Right. Good stuff. So if you're in the UK and you listen to this the week this podcast comes out, tomorrow and I was, tomorrow everybody's back in the theater, um, which for people like my, me, my age, it's kind of weird because these are ones that we went to see <laughs> when they came out. I'm <laughs> feeling older. Um, go see it if anything for the car chase that's never been bettered in the Bond series since in my personal opinion Mm -hmm. Um, even though he's not even behind the wheel Um, so with that thanks to Phil Mm -hmm. Ben and Sean Mm -hmm. and we'll see you next week for some the moon is not what is it Ben the world is not a moon moon. (laughs) thanks
2: Danny thanks Adam (laughs)